0: Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host James Lampkin, and my guest today is co-host of the podcast Sipping Tea with Nat and Z. Miss Z, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Look, well, the, first of all, let me say I wanted to do this for like uh, probably about a year or so, but I just oh. never. <laughs> but I never had the I never had the nerve to ask.
1: Ah, oh, you should have asked earlier. Yeah.
0: You know what? Normally, I'm good about it, but for some reason, I just was like, "Man, I don't know if she really want to do it." And one of the one of the reason that gave me a little bit of hope is because you guys have your own podcast. So I said, "Okay, well, at least she she is comfortable with being on one since she has yes. one." So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so first of all, let's start let's start with the podcast. Um, congratulations! Okay. How many episodes you ladies have?
1: Ooh, that is interesting I do not know we need to figure that out we were actually just talking about that uh recently I I think we have over we may have like 70 episodes in the bucket now we may um it could be a little bit more than that a little bit less but I'm gonna go with about seven,
0: 70 70 <laughs> 70
1: yeah I think so because we you know we used to do them once a week and then that was a little too ambitious for us and this started in the end of 2020 like September 2020 so we were doing like like episodes once a week and then at the beginning of 2022 um, 2021 we've been doing them every two weeks and so that's been the schedule so maybe not 70 but we're close to that I, I definitely say over 50.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you, 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 you both launched, you guys launched during the pandemic.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Yes, we
0: did. <laughs> <laughs> was that part of the motivation?
1: Um, We had been talking about doing it for a while and we just, you know, you, you sit around and you're like, you know what we should do? We should really do a podcast and you just laugh about it. And then I think when the pandemic hit, it was just like, Uh, We don't have anything else to do. We don't get to see each other, you know, face to face, because this was like the beginning of the pandemic. So it was like nobody was comfortable with coming out at all. So we were like, you know what, maybe this is a good time to launch it. And, you know, we just worked on ideas and the, you know, what the podcast is going to be about and just kind of really took some time to kind of think it through. And then we just went ahead one day and just decided to just record something to see how it would turn out and and we've been going ever since going ever since
0: how do you how do now that you've had a chance to like it's been over a year so what is the feelings now as opposed to back then when you first started
1: i think more so back then when we first started, we were probably more concerned with like, is anybody even going to listen to this? Like, are we just speaking into a void of nothingness? <laughs> um, and that was like, you know, I, I think when and because we were thinking about that so much, I think we were f- more focused on, you know, being more appropriate for getting an audience. And then I think once we got into the groove of things, I think. And not really caring how many people listen, but just who listens and if they've benefited from it. I think once we started to think about it from that aspect, I think we started to be more natural. Things started to come more easily for us. And now it's a lot more fun and less nerve wracking.
0: But you, now you mentioned you 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 record like once every two weeks as opposed to one week. Is it because, depending now that things are open back up, is it harder to record or is it just or other reasons
1: i think part of it was just you know things started well we really started to go back to we really started to scale it back and do every two weeks at the beginning of like sometime in 2021 and i think it was more so based on we didn't want to run out of topics and content i felt like you know if we kept going at the speed that we were going at we would have just run out of things to talk about and i mean now Looking back on it, that's not true because we always find something to talk about. And then we did realize, you know, we both have lives, um, families, things that we want to do. And it gets to be a little bit more challenging to keep up that two-week schedule. Like, we just sat down last night to kind of revamp some things because our schedules are are a little off. Like, when I'm out of town, you know, Nat's in town and vice versa. So, you know, we try to still keep up with that two-week schedule. episode release but i think you know this summer maybe you know some weeks sometimes it's gonna be like three weeks (laughs) sometimes
0: (laughs) (laughs) i want to go back to the beginning um for you because you grew up in philly correct
1: yes yes
0: so what was that like what was that oh god what was (laughs) what was that like for you
1: you know, Philly is a very interesting place. It is still like I still rep Philly to this day. I've lived probably here <laughs> in this area, maybe longer. Well, almost as long as I lived in Philly. And I will say that it's still Philly for me every day. I mean, Philly is is unique in a sense that, you know, it's it's rich with history. And the city does a lot to preserve. The history. I feel like in DC, um, DC is also rich for, with history, but it's become very vanilla, very sterile, in my opinion. It's like a lot of chains. It, there's not a lot of character to the buildings. And the only time you really see anything of significance is if you're on the mall and you see, you know, you go to the museums or things like that. I mean, unless you go into like some of the deeper neighborhoods um, that are still very rich with, with culture. Um, but Philly, it's just like they're very. Um, keeping the aesthetic is very important to them. And I mean, of course, like every area gentrification has come, but they've made it so that even if you're gentrifying an area, you're still keeping that old school aesthetic. Um, it's just a really, I personally think it's just a really cool place. It was a cool place to grow up. I mean, we didn't grow up rich by any means. Uh, we lived in a hood and, and you know, we were poor, <laughs> We weren't poor, but we were poor. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know. I Sometimes I wish, he, you know, my husband and I would move back just because I would love for my daughter to get that Philly experience. But um, I, I wouldn't trade. I'm glad I, that's where I'm from. And I, you know, wouldn't trade that for anything. Like anything.
0: So you you said you would want to move back.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the crime is a little crazy right now, but that's pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah. But it's cheaper than it is here. And just culturally, to me, it's just giving a little bit more than this area. Um, and I know people that live in this area probably listen to me like, she don't know what she's talking about. And I mean, <laughs> not, <laughs> but <laughs> but I don't know. For me, it's just Philly is just very. I don't know. I just love it. I just do. Um, I, it's something that you have to kind of experience to know um, what I'm talking about. Like, I, I remember when I first moved here from Philly and uh, uh, I was like, you know, talking to somebody and they're like, oh, you know what? I would love for you to bring me back. Uh, a steak and cheese and I was like a what (laughs) there's like a steak and cheese and I literally was like so confused I was like I have no idea what you're talking about like I really didn't and they're like yes you do you know Philly's famous for I was like oh a cheese steak (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) so the word made that much of a difference
1: yes I have no idea like it I don't know it was literally my mind just couldn't wrap around the fact that somebody was calling it a steak of cheese now mind you this is something that I grew up with like this is a Philadelphia staple like it is a cheese steak and so coming here and hearing that and then listening to what people put on it I was like oh my god this is blasphemy like this is a <laughs> sin what are you doing this is not it at all no <laughs>
0: so where did you end up attending college
1: um, so I stayed in state, so I went to the University of Pittsburgh, um, which you know um, I'm glad I did because I developed friendships there that I'm you know 25 years plus. Um, you know that's where I met Nat, um, and we've been friends ever since. We've been friends since we were like 18, 19 years old, and we are well in our mid 40s, 45. So we've been friends for a very long time.
0: <laughs> what made you pick? Um, what made you pick University of Pittsburgh?
1: Honestly, I wanted to be, you know, when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get away from my parents. Like, so I wanted to be far enough away, but still in state. So I could still, you know, take advantage of in-state tuition and still in a place where if my, my you know, my family needed to get to me, they could get to me relatively quickly. So, um, I was trying to be responsible <laughs> um, And so that's you know that's where I just landed.
0: okay. And you studied law, correct?
1: Yes, so as soon as I graduated, I was like mm, nope, I am not taking any time off because if I take any time off, I will not go back. And so I, after I graduated, I went straight to law school.
0: Was that was that always your goal as a child to be a lawyer?
1: Mhm always. I would say since the age of 12. I um so um I am a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated and my grandmother is also well it's also a member and so was my mother. So I was indoctrinated at a very early age with that. And my grandmother would take me to a lot of like sorority meetings and events and I remember her taking me to this one event um and this woman was speaking and she was an attorney and she was fabulous I mean she came in there with her mink and her her pumps and I just said whatever it is that she does that's exactly what I want to (laughs) do like I didn't care what she was talking about I just was like if you can whatever she does that allows her to look like that that's what I want to do and of course after a while and finding out what she really did and just you know doing my own like research I was like wow this really fits me it fits my personality it's really um in line of what I could see myself doing in the future and so I never I never swayed from it never
0: you went to law school uh in the uh, 90s right late Mm -hmm. oh
1: late 90s yeah I started in 99, 99 98 when did I start '99.
0: Yeah, because I graduated
1: in 2002.
0: What was the demographics?
1: Ooh, that's... <laughs> so I went to law school in New York, and, you know, when you hear of... um, When you hear of New York, and a lot of people talk about New York, you think, well, that's probably the most culturally diverse city there is in America, right? And it is, but it's also one of the more exclusive cities and very pretentious cities. And so the school that I went to, the African-American population wasn't that large. Um, And also it was very cliquish. So, you know, there were, you know, um, a lot of Italians that went there and they kind of just stayed with each other. There are a lot of Jewish people that went there and they kind of just stayed together. There wasn't a lot of intermingling. And so being Black and going there, it was a bit of a challenge. I mean, I'd be in a class of let's say 100 and let's say it was 120 kids in my in my particular class. And maybe out of that 10 of us were black. Mm-hmm. If that and I don't and I'm 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 being very generous. I don't think it was that many. <laughs> were when,
0: when you when you were going through um through the process like law school and things like that. Mhm. Were there were there how many black women? Because let's be honest. I mean, first of all, the law field is extremely hard to get into, but mm-hmm. you are actually a double minority because you're a woman and you're black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was what was that like for you? Like did you did you see any peers that look like you?
1: So in my class, I would say we actually there were more women than there were men, African American women, than there were men. I, there were no black men in my class, none. All huh. black women. Um, and so in my class, actually, no, it was less than 10 because it was uh five of us and we were all women.
0: And you were all black?
1: Mm-hmm. All black women, and those five of us. Yep. Now we are are I would say this, my like there were three different groups. So there was like uh group A, B, and C. And I was in group C. And so in my particular group, there were about Five of us. I don't remember if there were any in A and B. I I couldn't tell you because I don't remember. I don't think that there were honestly. There weren't a lot of us.
0: Did you Did you all get along?
1: Um. Hmm. Mm, I would say yes and no. Like I had my friends, um, but there were some. You know, it's 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 an interesting dynamic. There were some black students there who again very cliquish they were from New York so they kind of just stuck with each other it's like they didn't like outsiders if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um and I'll say this just to preface this so I went to school there for two years and then in my second year I decided to see if there was a way that I could transfer because it was just getting very expensive my mother was sick and I just kind of wanted to see if I could get somewhere closer and um I wound up finding this loophole where it's called a visiting student status where you can go to another school for a year and your credits would transfer, but not your grades. So I wound up actually going back to Pitt for my last year of law school. And I would say that was more, um, there were more African-American students there and they were more welcoming than when I was in New York.
0: You know, I'm sorry, I think I'm, I'm I don't know if I missed it, but in, you you went to law school in New York. Mm-hmm. Yes, New York. Oh, what's, what school? Was it spot I told you. This.
1: So I, I always say this, it's called New York Law School. It's not NYU. It was a school that actually was birthed from Columbia University. So there were professors at Columbia that didn't like the style of teaching. And so they left and they formed their own law school. Our claim to fame is Judge Judy. So Judge Judy actually graduated from my law school.
0: <laughs> why so why don't you just stay at Pitt?
1: Well, so I got waitlisted at Pitt. So I applied. I did. I applied to at Pitt, but then they waitlisted me and I was like, "Mm, I could wait, but do I really want to do that? And then risk the chance of not getting to go. And I, if I would have just been patient, I would have, I would have gotten in because they did let me know, but it was so close to the time where you had to go that it probably wouldn't have been the smartest choice. So I just wound up going to to New York.
0: You were, you were scared you would lose your momentum?
1: Not really lose my momentum, but that they would like, so, you know, school started in August and the end of August, and they let me know at the beginning of August, like, oh, you're off the wait list. So then I got to find a place I have to get all of that together. When I had already found a place in New York, I had already kind of solidified all of my plans. So it just didn't at that point make a lot of sense to like just switch it all up at the last minute. Like I would have to figure out my financial aid and if they would transfer that over, it was just a whole lot. And I was like, mm, I'll just stick with this and and just go with that.
0: Fast forward just a little bit. What was it like when you finished your degree and actually passed the bar? What was that feeling like?
1: So I I didn't I I'll uh be very transparent I took the bar I failed it by three points and I, I was like f this I'm done like you're not gonna fail me by three points and then think I'm a slave over this <laughs> again no and actually at that time after I graduated and I would I realized that I liked the law I didn't like the idea of being a lawyer. And I don't know um, if that really makes sense.
0: It makes a lot of sense.
1: But I just didn't like it. I And I don't know if it was my law school experience or not. And and I look back at it, and I'm thankful that I made that decision early on because I have friends from law school who are burnt out. I have friends from law school who pass the bar and never practice. I have friends from law school who aren't even... <laughs> they're doing something totally different than what they went to school for. Like they're not even doing law. They're like doing like real estate or they are stay at home mom or, you know what I mean? So, and and they all express the same thing. It just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't giving what it was supposed to give at all.
0: (laughs) I mean, I wanted some clarification because that part to me is interesting hmm. What is the point of, of the bar? Exactly.
1: <laughs> it is. And I think that that's what so if there's anybody that's listening that wants to go to law school, or if there's anybody who is in law school now or now out, they probably if you're out, you understand totally what I'm about to say. Law school does not prepare you for the bar. And that's. I hate to bring this up, but like I know a lot of people were talking about Kim Kardashian and how she didn't go to law school and she's just been studying for the bar. And I'm like, actually, that's smart Um, because the bar is not, they don't teach you anything that's going to help you for the bar. They really are not. Law school is not about, (laughs) it just isn't. Um, And so actually it makes more sense to just go and take the bar. And, And I say that because you have to take a class If you're smart, you take a class that will prep you for the bar and the bar is specific to whatever state you're in. So I went to school in New York, but I didn't take the bar in New York. I took the bar in Maryland. So you see where the dilemma is. The the bar is going to be specific. The essay part is going to be specific to Maryland law. So I have to learn Maryland law. I didn't learn Maryland law in law school. The multiple choice. Still, you have to have, like, the fundamentals of the basic subjects of law. But still, law school doesn't really teach you that. You have to learn that. So it just doesn't make sense. It it doesn't make sense.
0: So what happens if you pass the bar without going to school?
1: You could well, in Kim Kardashian's case, right, she's been, like, kind of being an apprentice and, like, learning under very skilled attorneys. And so if, because she's been doing that and she has to take baby bars, so she has to take a few bars before she takes the big bar. And so actually her doing that, she's still learning what she needs to know to practice. So, um, actually nothing. I, like I said, it's actually a smart move and it's not, Kim Kardashian isn't the only person that can do this. There are other people that can do it. It's just you have to find it's it's time consuming and you do have to find attorneys that are going to be willing to take you under their wing and you're going to have to really want to put in the work like studying for the bar is like a couple months and then you take the bar and that's it and that's if you graduate law school if you don't it's, it's not as quick it's going to be a couple of years before you can you can take the bar.
0: So, oh man, this this is pretty interesting. So mm-hmm. you can, because <laughs> I, I, I never knew this. So you telling me you can, like, let's say me personally, I found somebody who I could basically be an apprentice of. Mm-hmm. I can be an apprentice and just study for the bar and become a lawyer. Is that what you're telling me?
1: Yeah. It's it's. it's- yeah, simple. Uh, you know, technically, yeah, simplifying it, yes, but it's going to take some years. It's not like it's going to happen, and you have to take, like, a series of smaller bars to make it s- so that it, it's apparent that you are knowledgeable and you are um, able to actually practice, right? So it's not just, like, I think Kim Kardashian had to take, like, three small bars before she could take the big bar, and... um. And I think she finally passed that third bar. So that she can go into the big bar. And I think if she hadn't passed that, then it was a wrap. Like, you're just not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Um, Where on the flip side, if you go to law school, you can take the bar as many times as you want. You can take the bar... 50 times if you fail 49 times you could take it a
0: 50th time also it's a it's a limit to how many times you can take it
1: i believe so it's a limit if you don't go to law school i believe so but don't quote me um but i think with law school if you go to law school yeah i know for a fact if you go to law school and you fail the bar you fail the bar you fail the bar yeah there's stories of people fail 12 times 15 times jfk jr he failed it three times and he finally passed on the fourth try like I will say this, there are a lot of lawyers that you probably have or people that have hired, retained, um, worked with that probably did not pass the bar the first time. And maybe didn't even pass it the second
0: time. Wow. I'm gonna I to transition to the podcast that I listened to with you and um you and Nat. This was mm-hmm. actually Uh, Probably about two weeks ago, you were talking about um, Black women in education. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. That was a really good podcast, by the way.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you.
0: I wanted to, there was a couple of things I wanted to talk about. The first thing I want to talk about is you brought up something really interesting. You said that whenever, I don't know if you said, I don't think you said Black women, but I'm pretty sure you said women. Whenever women become the become more in the like when there's more women in the field the pay Mm -hmm. goes down
1: Mm
0: -hmm. you have to elaborate more on that
1: so and don't you know don't quote me a hundred percent because I have to remember I basically saw an article that showed like the progression of specific careers that were male-led, right, for a while. And then women started to get into the field. And what they showed is that the salaries just did not actually increase over time. And they never allotted for like cost of living or things like that. So they were actually getting paid less than what their male counterparts were getting paid. Um, And so one of the fields is law. Like at one point they called that the uh, pink collar a career Because so many women were going into law, but they weren't getting offered the same salaries as their male counterpart. So if you are like, say, you know, you have a man comes out, a woman comes out of law school, they go work for the same firm. You know, you're getting most associates are getting six figures, but it's what are you getting? The male may, you know, negotiate and be able to get like one hundred and thirty five, one hundred and fifty while she, the woman is only getting like 125. Mm-hmm.
0: Would you say you've personally experienced that?
1: Um hmm. <laughs> I will say I have definitely experienced a pay up until recently, I've definitely experienced a pay discrepancy absolutely. Um and I I received a pay I I would say discrepancy where there were men um, in my place of employment who were doing less than I was, but were titled better than me and given a higher grade than I was. And they did not have nearly as much experience or education as I have. Mm. So I can give you a, a good example. <laughs> I know uh, I'll say there is a, uh, where I work, someone I know, a male, is, is a GS-15. And I, if you're familiar with the government,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, you know course. these skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> and they, the, this individual is a GS-15, doesn't have a college degree, um, and is a GS-15. And I had a college degree, a law degree, and the position that I was in was requiring me to rely on those skill sets, and <laughs> I was at a 13.
0: Wow. so
1: right um and i had to actually i actually had a very good friend advocate on my behalf uh, unbeknownst to me to get my position regraded um to a 14 they wouldn't do a 15 but they (laughs) would do a 14 so even in that that person still is making more than i am but was not even remotely responsible for half of the stuff that I was responsible for
0: for you personally how do you keep going knowing that
1: um (laughs) it can be challenging um and it's challenging when you sit in the room with some of these individuals and you and you're just looking and you're like wow oh, this is interesting like you really don't know what the hell you're talking about, but they are paying you way more. Um, <laughs> it's hard, you know what I mean and it, and you know <clears throat> it's it's just hard and but but you're also put in a position like what are you gonna do? Like in the government you're a little bit more restricted, right? It's a little harder to kind of press and push, to get what you feel like you deserve, because you have to have people who are going to advocate for you and people who are in positions of power to advocate for you and to make those changes. Thankfully for me, I developed, you know, relationships with people in that in, in my office and relationships with people who actually could make a difference, who were able to speak on my behalf and like this is ridiculous. Like. No. I mean, you have her helping draft policies and procedures, (laughs) and this person can't even form a sentence. This doesn't make sense (laughs) at all. So, you know, you just kind of find your blessings in other areas and just kind of figure ways to kind of, I don't want to say rise above it, but just realize what's for me is for me. And I can't really worry about what's going on over there with that person.
0: You also mentioned something on the podcast that I'm going to be honest, is a, is a black man. It, it bothered me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I have to, but I also need to hear, I, want, I need to hear somebody who's intelligent like you who can articulate it. Okay. You made the comment. Is a black that black women are the least protected species on on earth. Mm-hmm. So I have to know now let's be clear. I don't mm-hmm. disagree. I don't disagree mm-hmm. with this at all.
1: Mm-hmm. But I
0: always like to hear, a, a, especially a black woman, I like to hear a perspective why she feels that way.
1: So I feel like we are always the forgotten group, right? We are always, I think the 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 thought that we are strong black women has served us poorly because people never want to really understand our pain and our plight. And because people don't want to understand our pain and our plight, and because people don't think that we really struggle, that when, when we are struggling, people aren't really sympathetic or empathetic to it. Um, and, and then that's when the harm and the damage comes, you know, I'll say something that's, Still very controversial in terms of what's going on in pop culture. You look at a situation like Meg Thee Stallion, and we don't know, nobody knows fully what happened in that moment, right? We just know that she was injured. It appears that she was shot. We don't, you know, she said who shot her was Tori lane's We don't, you know, again, we don't know the full story. But in that moment, you know, the attack is on her. There are some people who are saying, oh, you know, why are we protecting him? Especially when we know that he has a history of doing some really bad things to women. She's like constantly having to defend herself. Like she was injured. We know this. She had to go to the hospital. We know this. She showed us pictures of her injuries and everything. But we are just very quick to always put the blame on the woman. The same situation with <laughs> Will, the Will Smith situation. No one is looking at, I mean, there are people who are looking at Will as saying he needs to take accountability, but the, the other end of that is because Jada did this, this, and this. It's just like, we're always the blame or the brunt of the joke or um, made to feel like we don't we shouldn't speak up. And we're always on the front lines for everybody else, right? Black Lives Matter, always on the front line. We're always there to root for or to protect or to advocate for for everybody else. And then when it's time for people to advocate for us, it's silent. Another example is when the Harvey Weinstein incident happened. All these white women were coming out and saying, like, all of these despicable things that he did to them, right? And how uncomfortably he made them in certain situations. And people were rallying around these women. And they were like, oh my God, like, that is so terrible. I can't believe he did that to you. And then Lapita Nyongo came out and said it. And it was just like, oh, okay. It's a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even realize. Or remember that she came out and said that Harvey Weinstein had did some things to her and made her feel uncomfortable. And that's what I mean by, you know, we're the least protected group. Like we're so vulnerable. Like those girls, two girls recently that met men through, I guess, a dating app and they wind up dead. And it's just like, oh, well, they were on dating apps and they were doing drugs and that's what happens. And nobody's looking into it. Nobody wants to find out if there's more. Like, mm-hmm. if it was a white girl, you think that these men would have just gone off into the sunset? No, absolutely not. We have white women that go missing and, you know, that, you know, that one situation was a Gabby. I can't remember the girl whose boyfriend killed her and then he killed yeah. himself. Yeah, I remember quote, unquote. Um, you know. There are black women that go missing every day and they don't get the same news coverage because we're just forgotten about. We're looked at as a disposable group. And it's unfortunate. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not taking anything away for black men, right? Mm-hmm. But when things happen to black men, black women are the first to get on the horn to be like, no, this is unacceptable. This isn't right. The whole George Floyd situation was because a black girl videotaped it. And released it to the world, and and it's just that's what I mean. We're always the first to speak up when we see, you know, atrocities happening to other people. But I just don't feel like we get that same in return.
0: Do you ever have a problem yourself, personally speaking up?
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) I think sometimes to my detriment, I think my husband sometimes, like, geez, just give it a rest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why would you say to your detriment, though? Because that's.
1: I mean, I would not just say to my detriment, but like, I have very strong opinions. And I've gotten into some like arguments with people that I'm like, why am I arguing with this person? This is dumb. Like, you, like, why am I even entertaining this foolishness? You know what I mean? And I've taken, you know, 15 minutes, a half an hour, an hour out of my day to, to go back and forth with you over this foolishness when you're not <laughs> going to change my mind and I'm not changing yours.
0: <laughs> Please don't tell me this was on social media.
1: Of course it was. Oh my God. (laughs) And I don't, let me tell you, I would preface this. I do not like to argue with people on social media. And I don't like to, like, I don't read comments like in other, like posts. And then if I post something and someone says something that I I disagree with, I tend to ignore it for the most part. But there've been certain times when I've posted stuff and then somebody has said something and I just was like, no. I'm not going to let this go in chat. And my husband's like, why are you doing this? Like, let it go.
0: I know you don't want to hear this, but I'm so with your husband, because I'm like, man, <laughs> I, it is no way. I'm arguing with anybody on he, social yes. media.
1: He says that all the time. He just laughs at me. He's like, like, you do it to yourself. And he's like, now you worked up for what? You pacing the floor like, I refuse to let this person win. And he's just like, <laughs>
0: like, why? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you right now, you engage me, you the winner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing it. I don't waste my time. Because cause a lot of people just literally, they, they, they do that just to get a reaction. Oh,
1: yes, they do. They do. People and, troll. And it's, mm-hmm.
0: and it's like they they 25 people ignore them. And here you come, number 26. Yep. And you didn't done gave them their whole entertainment for the day. And I'm like, nah, it, it won't yes. be me. Mm-mm.
1: Now I'll say I don't do it often, but if there's a particular topic that I am absolutely like, and it's never like I said, it's never in a uh like I'm not in the shade room like you know, Twitter fingers or whatever, just I don't do that. But if you on my page and I say something and you come back with some stupidness and I feel like it, oh, I'm going to have time. I'm going to sit down, get real comfortable, crack my (laughs) finger.
0: I want to transition to family because you have a very, very interesting story because you got married and you had a kid after 40.
1: Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> and a lot of people,
0: a lot of people always say, "Well, I, I can't say a lot, but I'll say enough people say like if a woman is thirty-five or whatever age and she's Kenneth not ready." Listen, don't bring that clown up. I'm not talking about no goddamn. <laughs> 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 I'm talking, about, <laughs> I'm talking about I'm talking about real people. <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> but nah, he I mean, I mean he 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 kinda he kind of amplified it lately, but that's been that's been said for well, right. years. Mm-hmm. But you actually it happened for you. But I, I want to know, did you question whether it would happen for you?
1: Did I question it? No, I was. So I have never been one. And my friends will tell you, I've never been the person that was like. uh, Like obsessed or idolized the idea of marriage and a wedding. Right. I just wasn't. And I don't know if it's because I didn't really see a lot of healthy relationships growing up. Um, but I just, it wasn't, I was like, oh, I can do the Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn thing, just be together for like 50 years. And we never, we never (laughs) finalize anything. Like I can so totally do that. Right. Um, and so I always felt like if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make me less of a woman or less of a person. If it just doesn't happen for me. And that's not to say that I was always like, so like, you know, well adjusted (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you know there were times of course you get lonely and you're like damn it would be nice to you know have somebody or just be in a situation or you know um but i you know i was i was okay with it not happening let's say that i was okay with it not happening and as i approached 40 i was like okay i'm really i really got to be adjusted to this (laughs) i really do i have to be adjusted to the fact that it may not happen for me
0: but you was okay with it not happening.
1: Yeah, I was definitely, I had to be, you know, because you don't, you really don't control that, right? Like, I couldn't sit around, and, and I feel like when we focus on that or obsess over that, we tend to make poor decisions in choosing a partner. And, um, you know, so I had to be mindful of that and, and aware of that. And that is definitely something that was birthed out of therapy, um, but it was just like, you know, if, if it's meant to be, it'll be. You can't rush it. You can't force it. You don't want to pick the wrong person or or miss the flags. So you got to kind of like just settle yourself and just say, okay, I, if this is what you want, it'll come. If it doesn't, guess what? You're still going to be okay. You're still going to have a very full life and that'll be all right.
0: I, I understand that you, was, you were comfortable with it, but A lot of times, the woman's family seems to put a lot of pressure on them. Did you experience that?
1: No, my family knows knows me very well. (laughs) They know, I'm going to do what I want to do, and there's nothing. And I will say this, too. You know, my mother passed away when I was very young.
0: Okay, my kiddo.
1: Thank you. Um, my grandmother had passed away like in 2016. I just started having a better relationship with my dad. So I was never there. The uh, the conversation of marriage never really came up for me or being with somebody never really, I never really had those conversations. Like maybe my dad may have mentioned something, you know, once or twice in the times that we weren't in the best of spaces and I just dismissed it. Um, but it was never really, you know, it was never forced on me or never, I never felt pressure. No, I never did. Um, but also, I think going back, it's because a lot of people in my family didn't have very functioning relationships. So I guess they were like, look, I'm the last person <laughs> to tell anybody to get into any kind of situation. So
0: You, you said, you, I, I'm, I just want to go back because you said you and your father, you didn't have the best relationship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: but how how did you two repair it
1: um i talk about i always say this therapy you know you when you're younger you know my my parents got divorced when i was really young i think i was like maybe two years old okay and you know you don't you you just go through a life, right? And not never really knowing the full story when you're younger, and you just pick. A, sometimes you just naturally pick a side, right? I was with my mom, so my mom was that was the side I picked, and I didn't really care to know why he wasn't around. He just wasn't there. I mean, looking back, he lived in California. He had a whole life in California. You know, he tried to have me come out there, and you know, for whatever reason, I never went. Um, And then I think it got to a point where I was just like, I think it actually happened in my late thirties, you know, going to therapy and trying to resolve some like issues, like the issues that I had with my mother and, um, and realizing that my parents absolutely did the best they could with the tools that they had. (laughs) I mean, they had me young. They were like 22. So my mother was 44 when she passed away and she had a child in college, her first year of college and a child in her first year of law school. I can't imagine being this age with two grown kids um, and having to try to figure who I am out still in the process. So I realized that my dad did, did the best thing he could. And, you know, I could have a con- and, and the therapist said to me, I remember <clears throat> like I was just like, I wish I just knew how it all played out. I wonder why they got divorced and why, you know, I didn't see my dad a lot. And the therapist says, well, you can ask your father, but you're only going to be able to get the answer from him. You're not going to be able to get the answer from your mother. So (laughs) is it really worth it? Do you really want to open those wounds and have that conversation with him and not be able to get your mother's side of the story? Or are you just going to just say what his reasons are? or his reasons, and we're in a good space now, and just leave it at that. And I decided to just leave it at that, you know? And just understand that he absolutely did the best he could with the tools he had. I'm not his only child. My father has six kids. One older than me, and then four younger than me. So, he did the best he could.
0: <laughs> so, this, you you guys made, you, you guys made peaks in your 30s?
1: I would say, Honestly, I, my dad and I started to work towards, well, I started because my dad was, I could see my dad was more open to really building a relationship with me in my thirties. And I was just like, whatever. Um, And that's because I just had a lot of unhealed stuff and I just wasn't really trying to deal with all that. And I think once I got out of the, when I started going to therapy, I would say like in my late thirties, he and I really started to kind of just repair. And then when I had my daughter, I think that is what kind of flipped the switch for me. And I was like, wow. Okay. This is what it is to be a parent. This is a lot.
0: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
1: And he was doing this at 21. I have to, I have to ease up. I have to ease up.
0: What made you go to therapy?
1: You know, I was just dealing with a lot. Um, I, you know, my, I had, um, a lot of death in my life. Um and a very close people like my mother, my grandfather. My grandmother started getting dementia. And then she wound up passing away in 2016. Um and then I had to kind of be like the matriarch patriarch of the family. I have an uncle, but he's a degenerate and <laughs> he, he's just like everybody has one of those in his in their family. He's my mother's brother and he just is just he is who he is. And um so it was just a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on me. I just never really fully dealt with the death of my mother because we didn't have the best, we weren't on the best of terms or had the best relationship when she passed away. So there was a, like a lot of unhealed things from there, a lot of conversations that I wish I could have had with her. Um, So it was just a lot. And <clears throat> I had, right when I decided to fully go into therapy, I was in a relationship at the time. I, was in, I had been engaged to this person. We broke up. Um, And then maybe like nine, 10 months after our breakup, he winds up dying. So um, it was just a lot in, in, and I just said, I can't do this by myself. Like I've been trying to maintain and I need to, I need something. And I kind of thought for years before this, even like in college, that maybe I was, you know, back in college, back in the nineties, let's say depression and anxiety people didn't really talk about that especially black people you know Mm -hmm. it's just like oh you need to go to god you need to go to church you need to pray that's what you need to do (laughs) yeah um (laughs) but looking back at it i really know that there were moments that i was dealing with some serious depression and anxiety and I, i you know i realized that i was seeing those patterns you know throughout my 20s and 30s and i was like i have to something has to give I can't I can't just keep doing this um and I was like I'm just gonna go to therapy and it's the best decision that I ever made in my life
0: (laughs) yeah I'm sure just I think now because we talk about it so much like it used Mm -hmm. to be it used to be a taboo thing but now it seems like everybody's in therapy
1: yeah I think it's healthy. I mean, even if you don't really feel like there's anything wrong, you you, you go to get a physical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, To see if there's anything wrong. You just get your yearly checkup. You go to the dentist every six months. Like, I just think going to therapy is just uh, a, something that you should add to your medical repertoire. Even if you go once a year to just be like, okay, this is, you know, where I'm at. Because you sometimes you don't even know. There could be things that are weighing on you that you just don't even really know because you're not really focusing on it and I think when you take the time to kind of like figure it out it's like oh okay maybe this is why things have been going this way because you know I haven't dealt with this or that and especially after the pandemic I mean who I don't understand why everybody's not in, th- in therapy after the pandemic
0: I mean please <laughs> hey, we might it's all different. be because man I'm telling you it, I, I I it's like everybody I talk to is in therapy so Yeah. Um, oh man but it's good. I mean, like I, th- I think the biggest thing one, I don't think we I don't think we discuss enough the resources because unfortunately not everybody has the means and the resources to seek therapy. That
1: was absolutely true. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so I think that's one factor. And two, I really think um, you said it earlier. Just the church and the prayer and things like that. We've been it's been ingrained in us so much. Oh, just pray about mm-hmm. it. Just pray about it. And it's like. No, it's like we're not hearing enough. God put those resources here to help us. So Right. I always
1: so. say go to God and give a copay. I mean, you can do both. <laughs> 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 you can do both. You so can do both. I mean, you know, and it's not to take away prayer because prayer does help, but sometimes you need something like a supplement, you know, and that's how I tell people like, who have been apprehensive? I'm like, it's a supplement. I have a good girlfriend who I've been telling her for years, I'm like, you need therapy. <laughs> like, I think you need to go see somebody. And it's not because there was anything like major, it's just like, a lot of, she just held on to a lot of anxiety about a lot of things. And I'm like, you need to just go talk about why you hold on to all of that. Like, why are you holding on to this so tightly? Cause it's giving you anxiety. Like you're going to spiral. You need a break. You need to just have somebody to talk to like, you know, or a mom who's like, think about it during the pandemic. If you're a mother and you're a mother of children, like say under the age of five and you're home with them and your husband, like it's gonna drive you crazy. Like, you're gonna feel, like, burnt out. And maybe just go talk to somebody about it. Like,
0: Wait, I don't well, know. Let me, But let me stop you for a second. You don't think we get burnt out?
1: Uh, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> y'all do? No, now, y'all do? But see, the difference between, I feel like I don't, having a, like, just getting a black man sometimes to go to the doctor is like, a a chore in and of itself it's just like i don't know what it is i don't know is it be a very interesting dynamic to to explore but like recently like for example my husband was sick recently and i mean he was sick and i'm like you need to take a covid test no i'm good i'm good no you really do you need to take a covid test so i finally convinced him to take a covid test it was negative then he was like still sick and he's like i think i blew my eardrum out from sneezing i'm like you need to go to the doctor no 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 i'm good i'm good i'm like no you're not just go. Just go to urgent care. As Soon as he went, they gave him medicine, and he's fine. Like, I don't understand why y'all just, like, don't want to go. Like, I don't understand. I, why is it so bad?
0: I mean, I, I, I think a, I think a <laughs> lot of it is we don't want to be vulnerable, and we don't mm. want to appear weak. Mm. So um, I'll say this. We do talk. Men do talk, and we talk a lot. Um, I think one of the problems is not every woman is comfortable listening to what Mm -hmm. you say. Mm -hmm. Because you could say, like, a man could say something that could really hurt a woman. See, we have to, we, this, this, this this is like the double standard. A woman can say whatever she wants for the most part. Because a man is supposed to take it, mm-hmm. but if a man, in turn, says whatever he wants, he can hurt that woman, and he can hurt her bad. And if she doesn't recover, it's okay. But if we don't, if we somehow can't recover, oh man, that's just what she said. You got to get over it. So that's like a double standard that we have to go through. Then you know, then it's like another thing too. It could be so many little things. Mm -hmm. Like you say one little thing, that little thing adds up to another and another and another. And we are taught as men that we have to keep moving forward, keep Mm -hmm. moving forward. Whereas if you stop, if you stop and start talking about your issues, which I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is a good thing. If you stop and talk about your issues, now it feels like you're not moving forward. You're stopping Mm -hmm. to think about those issues that and again. So that's that's not helping you progress forward. So rather than really deal with it, you just sweep it under the rug. You just don't talk about it and you just keep moving forward. Yeah, there's, there's a reason men die young.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that that is it because y'all bottle stuff in and I feel like one of the biggest things that is a killer among Black men is stress because stress leads to so many other things. It leads to cancer and heart attacks, hypertension, at least to all that. And it's because like you said, you just feel like just you talk, but you don't want to say too much. But I feel like, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I feel like that is that I have to kind of debunk that theory a little. And I think there are some women, cause I feel like I'm one of them and I shoot from the hip and that is, that can be a problem. Um, the way my sister and I were raised, we've been raised to be very strong, very independent and and very, some people would say mouthy, like back in the day, like, oh, you're so mouthy, but very like, I'm going to tell you how I feel. Um, so for me, words don't hurt me. I'd rather you tell me how you feel. I don't, words don't bother me at all. And, and that is a something that my husband and I, we, we actually like go back and forth on all the time because like he's very like words matter to him words don't matter to me because it's the action that you follow it up with right like I can tell you that um oh yeah I'm gonna come and fix your you know your roof right
0: Mm -hmm.
1: okay but if you haven't taken any action to do it then your words have no they have no value to me. You know what I mean? And that's not to say that, cause that, that does sound kind of bad, but like words just don't affect me in the way that actions do, because actions are intentional, right? Like you have to set out to intentionally do something to hurt somebody. You could say something to me. Right. Um, but like, if you tell me you hate me, I'm going, okay. But if then, if you follow that up with doing something, <laughs> an action that actually shows me that you hate me, that's going to hurt me more. Yeah. People say things all the time that they don't really mean. It's not, not to say that that's good or bad, but a lot of times we say stuff in, in the heat of the moment in an argument. Sometimes you're not thinking and you say something like, Oh crap, I shouldn't have said that. And it's no, sometimes there's no ill will behind it. but But when you do an action, That is... You are telling me exactly
0: how you feel. (laughs) Good or bad. Now, all that's that's true. But here's here's where I push back because you said something about words don't hurt you, Mm -hmm. but they hurt your husband, right? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the problem. Society would say the fact that words hurt him, he's sensitive and he's soft. Right. So again even if words do hurt you, you can't show it. No. You can't, you can't really express how much something, something somebody said bothered no. you. And no. we're all, and a lot of us are guilty of that. I mean, hell I'm guilty of that mm-hmm. of a man. Oh man. It, don't worry about it. They just, they just talking shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you don't know what those words triggered in that person. Right. You, you know? So that's why for, again, that's why for men, it's so difficult. Like, I, believe me I've had conversations with a lot of my friends and it could start the the, the thing about me is one of us has to open up first mm. mm-hmm. so let's say let's say me and your husband talking we could we could start out talking about sports right mm-hmm. I, I, I I know your husband a little bit I don't know him a lot but I've met him mm-hmm. we could start out talking about sports right
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then five minutes later, I could tell him, man, my wife getting on my nerves about blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And he say, no, man, mine too. Mm -hmm. So next thing you know, I've opened, I've opened up the conversation about we can actually vent to each other. Mm -hmm. So it takes, all it takes is one, one man to say what's bothering him. Mm -hmm. Once he, once he opens the discussion about what's bothering him, the other guy will in turn say what's bothering him. So now it went from talking about sports to now you're having a full vent session. Right. It could go it could go out. It could go for hours. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so
0: it, so it's not that we don't talk, it's we have to be comfortable, we have to feel comfortable.
1: Comfortable, right? So right, right.
0: that's why I wanted to make sure that was clear.
1: No, that is, you know what, and that's fair, and that's clear because you know. I've, I've, you know, had conversations with my husband where he'll be like, "Oh yeah, we out the fellas. Oh, What would y'all do? Nothing. We, you know, we just chilling." I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> and then maybe like two days later, he'll say, "Yeah, when I we went out, I was talking to such and such, and he said such." I'm like. Well, when I asked you before, he was like, no, we just chilling. But y'all had a whole philosophical conversation about, and so you're right. We're women. We're more like, that's all we're going to do. Like, we're going to get together and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have that conversation. We don't need to feel comfortable. We're just going to lay it on the line. Um,
0: yeah, I, yeah, we, don't yeah. start, we don't start out with the idea of having an event session, but it will
1: happen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we do. Sometimes we get together just to do that. Girl, I need to we need to get together because he getting on my nerves and I need to like, and and we will do that. We will do that. And that's fair. I mean, and I can understand why it is a little bit more challenging for black men to feel comfortable going to a therapist and sitting and having a conversation with somebody you do not know about things that are bothering you. I, I fully understand that. And I can respect that, but in the same breath and in the same vein, it's just like, we have to, as a people get past that, level of uncomfortability because a lot of us are walking out here unhealed getting in relationships with other people who are unhealed and then you're creating this environment that's just not healthy at all for anybody yeah
0: yeah it's just like i said like you you, i will never say who's more protected or less protected i won't Mm -hmm. say that but i will say Black men, no, I think black women come the closest to understanding because they are black. Right. But we we are, black men are the most intimidating figures on earth. And we don't even try to be. Well, yes. <laughs> like a lot of okay. times we're we just, a lot of us are peaceful. You know, we just want to go about our day, not cause any problems. Mm-hmm. And you got people that still intimidated by us
1: yeah that's for whatever
0: fair. reason so it's like you have to carry that like we have to well i'm not i don't say we do it but sometimes you unfortunately subconsciously you just find yourself kind of dumbing for lack of better terms kind of just dumbing yourself down so you mm-hmm. so so people can be comfortable because it's like it's not it's not and I, and I hear people say well i'm the same person whenever i walk in the room and i'm like yeah i'm not i'm not saying i'm not but when you a black man it's like everybody's just on edge and it's like right. there's no reason to be
1: it's a respectable negro syndrome it's what you see when we talk about will smith right like Will Smith has had an illustrious career, right? Before the situation happened, when he got on stage and hit Chris Rock, no one had anything really bad to say about Will Smith. He was voted like the most likable man in Hollywood. Like people adored him and thought that he, and and said he was so kind, so nice. And you never heard like some of the horror stories that you hear about, you know, actors mistreating other people on set and stuff like that. And he hits this man with a lapse of judgment wrong, but now he's vilified. And now it's, oh my God, Will Smith is a monster. Let's take everything away from him. And so I get what you're saying, right? Because you can't mess up. You can be the respectable Negro, but as soon as you step out of line, they will remind you. (laughs) They will remind you of how they really view you and see you. As long as you're smiling and you're nice and you're polite and you're, you know, you're articulate, Put on your customer service voice, and you're doing all these things. You know, for the most part, you can get by, right? But that's exhausting. It's taxing,
0: and, and, and it's even worse And you said. It longs you articulate, but even with that, if you, if you if you if you if you're a black man who intelligent and can be your brain now, your brain is intimidating too. Yeah. Man, that's really you, it's like a double whammy, right? Now. Yeah, no, like, that,
1: those are facts.
0: Yeah, so it's like because they they already expect like because they already feel like they're superior to you, which they're not. Mm-hmm. So then it's like once you start, you know, now you you know you're physically imposing, and now you add on the mental. Now you're mentally imposing because deep down they feel like, damn, this 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 Negro actually might be smarter than me, but they yes. will never admit that. They won't so, ever admit it. So it's like you it's like you're doubly you're double intimidated
1: mm-hmm. so it's it's sad and I feel like we're in troubling times right now and I don't know if people are really paying attention to everything that's going on and you know we just have to do better as people and kind of come together and <laughs> figure some things out because the way they're snatching away rights from different disenfranchised groups the, they're going to come for us. Next. I mean, they already are the gerrymandering, the, you know, changing all these districts up so that, you know, black people don't really have a voice it's happening. And mm-hmm. I don't know, like you said, we, like you said, you can't, sometimes it seems like you can't do anything right. Even when you're doing everything that they say you should do by the book And I'm putting day in quotes, it's just like, you're it's still a problem because now yeah. you're too smart or now you oh now you think you're better than me or now you think you know um and 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 that's going back to what I said about my job like why do I have to work twice as hard to to still be seen as less than
0: yeah no i can trust me i get it and we could we could talk all night about this
1: yeah we could <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i do i want to get you out of here with this because um, you, you've done a lot, you've accomplished a lot. Um, what are you looking forward to moving forward?
1: Hmm. You know, just, just continuing on a path of just, you know, self-care, um, having peace and joy in my life. That's all I really want. You know, I just want to have peace, joy, and happiness in whatever form that that can come in. Um, I think, that that's what we all should aspire to, you know, I don't want, I'm not, so I used to be more focused on acquiring things like, Oh my God, I have to, I have to have this. I have to get a house. I have to, you know, because we are told that those are the things that we're supposed to get, right. Mm -hmm. To to say that we've, we've accomplished something. And really at the end of the day, like you can have all those things and still be without peace. Mm -hmm. still be without joy still be without happiness so for me right now I'm just looking forward to just continuing on just that path and just continuing to just enlighten myself continuing to just better myself heal myself that's that's what I'm looking forward to watching my daughter grow you know having the years go by with my husband that's that's all I'm looking forward to
0: well, listen. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and a, and really a true joy talking with you. Um, I've been wanting to do this, and you definitely didn't disappoint me.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Make sure that you tell the people how they can um follow you and and um listen to the podcast.
1: So, if you want to listen to the podcast where I uh you know get into some interesting topics with my good girlfriend Nat, you can follow us at what is it sipping tea underscore pod underscore you know what I don't even know just come (laughs) I can't remember it's sipping tea with Nat and Z because Nat does the the tagline but it's sipping tea with Nat and Z if you put us into Instagram or to Facebook you'll find us and then (laughs) I am on IG at zmad1908
0: again thank you for um taking the time to do this and I wish you all the best
1: Thank you. You too. I
0: really enjoyed this. Thank you. I'm definitely, I want to take the time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. My Facebook is also conversations with lamp. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.